Welcome to this second instalment in the Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series on enforcement of arbitral awards aimed at financial institutions and others operating in EMEA. My name is Nicholas Peacock. I'm a partner in the International Arbitration Group in the London office. In our previous podcast, we heard that Russia in recent years has emerged as one of the more complicated jurisdictions in terms of enforcing awards and drafting arbitration agreements. In this episode, I'm joined by Stuart Patterson, a disputes partner based in our Dubai office since 2009. Stuart has extensive experience in financial services disputes, corporate crime and arbitration. Stuart and I are going to discuss enforcing arbitration awards in the Middle East, with a focus on the UAE, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, which might be termed as emerging markets, or at least where the practice of international arbitration is developing. We're recording this podcast on the 10th of July 2019, so the usual caveat apply at the position we describe may have changed. At the outset, and worth repeating, even if you listen to episode one, always think enforcement at the outset of any transaction. Enforcement should not be an afterthought. When the parties are negotiating the contract, the all-important question should be, where are my counterparty's assets, or where are they likely to be, if I ever need to enforce against them? As reciprocal recognition treaties for court judgments tend to be limited in many markets, and the Middle East is certainly no exception in that respect, arbitration, with the considerable advantage of the New York Convention uh, in terms of enforcement, is increasingly the dispute resolution mechanism of choice. However, thought needs to be given to the arbitration agreement, to which institutional rules to choose, and most fundamentally, the best option for the seat. Now, with all that said, Stuart, could you give us a general overview of arbitration in the Middle East as a region? Thank you, Nick. Although the Middle East has a long history of arbitration, there is no question that enforcement of arbitral awards in Middle Eastern jurisdictions, even those which profess to be more arbitration-friendly, has proved in the past to be a significant challenge. One reason for this is that most Middle Eastern states consider the right of a citizen to have a dispute decided by a court to be a fundamental right, such that a decision to give up that right in favour of private arbitration must be clearly and unequivocally established. This theme comes through in many of the cases in which enforcement efforts have failed and has therefore prevented arbitration from flourishing in the region, as it might otherwise have done. Another factor to keep in mind is that three Middle Eastern states, Libya, Yemen and Iraq, are not in fact signatories to the New York Convention. Although Iraq is slowly moving towards ratification, it still has a number of domestic legislative processes left to go through. However, there are other enforcement tools in place. For example, these three countries are members of the Riyadh Arab Agreement for Judicial Cooperation 1983, known as the Riyadh Convention, which provides that the courts of one signatory state shall recognise the judgments of other states as binding. As I expect we'll come on to later, what is known as the conduit jurisdiction between the DIFC and Dubai courts in the UAE gives a potential pathway to enforcement in those three non-contracting states. Okay, thanks Stuart, that's a good background. Now turning to individual jurisdictions, let's start with the UAE, which has uh, quite a complicated legal system. Uh, Can you tell us about that and what makes the UAE's arbitral landscape different from other jurisdictions? Well, the UAE is a civil law jurisdiction with a civil code largely based on Egyptian law. The UAE is made up of seven distinct emirates, of which Abu Dhabi and Dubai are the largest and perhaps the best known. 
the laws are written in Arabic and the courts conduct their business in Arabic, so they can be a challenge for international companies to navigate. What makes the landscape in the UAE unique, for the moment at least, is that the government has also established several so-called offshore economic free zones, of which the most widely known in the finance sector are the DIFC, the Dubai International Financial Centre, established in 2004, and the ADGM, the Abu Dhabi Global Market, established in 2013. They are dedicated hubs for financial services businesses, which the government is keen to promote in order to help the country diversify its economy. Both free zones allow participants additional rights and freedoms to those available to companies set up in the rest of what is informally referred to as onshore UAE. The DIFC and ADGM are separate jurisdictions in their own right, in which the civil and commercial laws of the UAE are not applied. Each has a separate court with an independent judiciary which hears cases in English and applies a body of laws that is either closely modelled on English law, in the case of the DIFC, or in the case of the ADGM, incorporates English law directly. In addition, the DIFC and the ADGM are recognised as separate seats of arbitration, with each having enacted a standalone arbitration law based on the UNCTRA model law. Okay, so as well as being able to choose the UAE as a seat, there are these two further offshore seats of arbitration, the DIFC and the ADGM. So why has that situation developed and what's the UAE's general record with enforcing foreign arbitration awards? Well, although a party to the New York Convention since 2006, enforcement of arbitral awards has been patchy in the UAE. Parties seeking to enforce against assets in the UAE often meet with significant judicial interventionism. Rather than implementing the requirements and perhaps the spirit of the New York Convention, the UAE courts tended to apply domestic legislation instead, and did so, as I mentioned earlier, from a stance of general scepticism towards arbitration as a means of dispute resolution. That led to multiple issues, not least because domestic legislation stipulates that the UAE courts cannot enforce a foreign judgment or award unless they have satisfied themselves that they did not have original jurisdiction over the substantive dispute. That meant a risk that the UAE courts might reopen and decide the merits of the underlying dispute. So the UAE courts would effectively ignore the New York Convention, is that right? Yes, that is right. The UAE courts would not consider themselves constrained to apply only the limited grounds for refusing to enforce an arbitral award under the New York Convention, but would instead apply the stricter requirements of domestic legislation. That provided fertile ground for parties looking to frustrate enforcement. In one now infamous example, the Dubai court set aside a foreign arbitral award against a UAE government department on the perhaps trivial grounds that, during the arbitration, witnesses had not given evidence under oath in the manner required by UAE law. This highlights one of the unfortunate features of arbitration in the Middle East. Although parties the world over may try to frustrate enforcement, weak arguments have often met with success in the courts of the Middle East. Typically, the grounds relied on are alleged procedural deficiencies or non-compliance with public policy, which might include issues of arbitrability or violation of Sharia principles. Parties have therefore successfully challenged enforcement on grounds that the award was not signed on every page or not physically signed in the UAE, and on the basis that the individual signing an agreement on behalf of a company lacked specific authority to enter into the arbitration agreement. 
There have been other discouraging decisions. For example, two years ago, the Dubai Court of Appeal refused enforcement on the basis that the party seeking enforcement had failed to prove that the UK was a signatory to the New York Convention. However, encouragingly, the UAE has recently enacted a new federal arbitration law in June 2018, which, when read with recent amendments to the Civil Procedure Code, mean that the UAE's domestic legislation regarding the enforcement of awards is now much more closely aligned with the New York Convention, which should reduce some of the risks. Although the law is new, early indications are that the new law is being properly applied by the courts. Thanks, Stuart. Well, that new law does sound encouraging. I'm sure we'll be watching that uh, closely. As you've mentioned, one of the key developments in the UAE are these offshore seats of arbitration. The DIFC, as you mentioned, has its own arbitration law and judiciary and a dedicated arbitration centre, the DIFC-LCIA arbitration centre. Given the issues faced by parties prior to the new federal arbitration law, that DIFC-LCIA centre has emerged as an attractive seat for arbitrations in the wider Middle East and North Africa region, and even indeed as far as South Asia. Uh, I guess the question is, has it been successful when it comes to enforcement? Well, the DIFC has proved itself to be very arbitration-friendly. When established in 2004, the DIFC offered an alternative to the UAE as a seat, and parties were attracted by access to the supervisory jurisdiction of the DIFC courts, which have a strong common law bench, including judges with long experience of arbitration issues. The DIFC also offers a modern arbitration law closely modelled on the UNCTRAL model law, with objections to enforcement limited to those grounds under the New York Convention. These arrangements all offer familiarity and predictability to international businesses, which has made the DIFC increasingly successful for regional arbitration. Although the detail is beyond the scope of this podcast, the DIFC was so eager to support international arbitration that it decided that it would recognise and enforce overseas awards in the DIFC without there being any connection to the DIFC, whether in terms of assets or other subject matter nexus. Although that in itself is not necessarily controversial, the jurisdictions of the DIFC and onshore Dubai are closely interconnected, and judgments handed down by the court of one must be ratified and executed in the court of the other, without review of its merits. Therefore, parties with awards against assets in Dubai could go to the DIFC court first and take the order from the DIFC court to Dubai without running the gauntlet of unfamiliar Arabic language enforcement proceedings before the onshore Dubai courts. Okay, so the award creditors could in effect circumvent the uh, the Dubai courts by bringing an award for enforcement in the DIFC and then taking the resulting order into what we call onshore Dubai. That's right, or at least that was right. This is what practitioners in Dubai call the conduit jurisdiction. While in place, the Dubai courts would have no option as a matter of Dubai law other than to execute the DIFC court's decision to award the, to enforce the foreign award. The attraction of going through the DIFC first was not simply a more straightforward route to enforcement. In addition, the DIFC court can give interim and equitable relief, which the Dubai courts cannot, for example, freezing orders and orders for the cross-examination of an officer of the debtor as to the debtor's assets. And the DIFC court is a UAE court for the purpose of the Riyadh Convention, and so parties can take awards for enforcement in the DIFC and then onwards to Riyadh Convention states, including those which have not signed the New York Convention. A high-profile example of this is the case of Pearl Petroleum against the Kurdistan Regional Government of Iraq, 
in which an award creditor with two London-seated awards totaling two billion US dollars against the Kurdistan regional government of Iraq enforced both awards in the DIFC courts, despite the KRG having no assets in the UAE, and then enforced against the KRG in Iraq under the Riyadh Convention. Accordingly, the conduit jurisdiction has been controversial in Dubai, and there was a general feeling that the DIFC court had in some way trodden on the Dubai court's toes. So in 2016, the ruler of Dubai set up a special tribunal to decide issues of jurisdiction between the courts of Dubai and the DIFC. Now, after a long line of decisions, attempts to use the conduit jurisdiction are unlikely to succeed. However, with the introduction of the new federal arbitration law, those issues have to some extent been mitigated, as the direct enforcement process available in onshore UAE under the new federal arbitration law may be less problematic than it once was, although we'll have to wait and see um, to what extent this plays out in practice. Okay, thank you, Stuart. No sooner do I find out what the conduit jurisdiction is, but you tell me it's disappeared. Um, Never mind. Given the landscape in Dubai and the UAE, it appears to be constantly changing, so very much a case of uh, watch this space and listener keep updated via our Arbitration Notes blog. Now, what about that other major regional commercial centre, Saudi Arabia? Now, traditionally, Saudi Arabia has not been viewed as a particularly arbitration-friendly jurisdiction. It used to be the case that arbitrators had to be adult males and of Islamic faith. The somewhat ominously titled Saudi Board of Grievances, which had jurisdiction over the enforcement of all awards, would effectively conduct a retrial of the case on its merits to ensure that the awards did not violate the Sharia principles of Islamic law. Stuart, is this still the case, or has the position changed? You're you're quite right, Nick, that until recently, enforcement in Saudi Arabia certainly suffered from issues similar to those in the UAE, with very limited examples of successful enforcement of foreign awards. Prior to the introduction of a new arbitration law in 2012, and a law concerning enforcement in 2013, award creditors needed to take awards to the Board of Grievances, with decidedly mixed results. In one extreme example, um, several years ago, Jadawal International of Saudi Arabia um, versus Imar Properties of uh, Dubai saw Jadawal fail in a 1.2 billion US dollar claim against Imar in ICC proceedings seated in Saudi Arabia. The tribunal ordered Jadawal to pay costs to Imar. Imar brought the costs award for enforcement before the Saudi Board of Grievances, which proceeded to review the underlying merits, overturned the award and in fact ordered Imar to pay $250 million to Chadawal. However, as a result of the new laws, award creditors can now take their awards directly to an enforcement judge who will enforce the award provided it does not contravene public policy or Sharia principles. The judges are specialists dealing with enforcement matters, including in relation to arbitration, which should improve the quality of the decisions rendered. Although the grounds for objection appear limited, what constitutes public policy and a violation of Sharia law is still open to interpretation. So do you think the new laws have made a difference? Although, like most Middle Eastern jurisdictions, there is no standard system of court reporting, our understanding is that there has been a significant increase in enforcement of foreign awards, with over 600 applications made in 2018 from all over the world, and reports suggesting numerous examples of successful enforcement against Saudi companies in the kingdom, including an ICC award issued in Malaysia against a private Saudi university, and an award against a Saudi gold mining company issued by a China-seated tribunal. Okay, that does sound 
cautiously positive and suggest that things are moving in the right direction in terms of enforcement prospects in Saudi Arabia. And the last jurisdiction we're going to look at today is Qatar. Uh, Qatar is a signature to the New York Convention, but it seems to suffer from similar issues in terms of the enforcement of awards. Uh, Stuart, what are the reasons for this? Well, Nick, one reason is the lack of familiarity with the New York Convention, such that broader grounds are relied upon to justify refusal to enforce awards. To give an example, in 2013, the Qatar Court of First Instance refused to enforce an award rendered in ICC proceedings seated in Paris on the basis that the award was not made in the name of the Emir of Qatar, which was said to be necessary as the dispute involved issues of Qatar law. However, in unrelated proceedings, the same argument was made successfully at the first instance stage of the enforcement proceedings in Qatar, but once the matter reached the Court of Cassation, the objection was happily dismissed and the award was enforced. Okay, thanks, Stuart. So I understand Qatar passed a new arbitration law in 2017, which was also based on the UNSTRAL model law. But as we've discussed, the judicial approach is every bit as important as the strength of the laws in place. So again, a question to watch this space, I think. Well, that's all for now. We hope this short overview has given you a sense of the landscape and the possibilities of and obstacles to enforcement of arbitral awards in this important region. Enforcing awards in the Middle East is not without its challenges. Many of these countries have long been signatories to the New York Convention, but have only recently enacted legislation incorporating the principles of the Convention into domestic law, which the domestic courts, understandably, hold to be paramount. At the same time, the DIFC, and potentially the ADGM, uh, stand out as arbitration destinations for parties in this region, with dedicated courts and laws that match international best practices. Finally, of course, Sharia law will remain an important part of the public policy of this region and should be taken into account both at the drafting and the enforcement stages. For now, thank you for joining us on this episode. If you have any questions, feedback or comments, do please get in touch.